Now, Psalms chapter 6, we're going to go through a couple of chapters this evening, tonight, Psalms chapter 6, and we've been studying really the heart of worship and what really true worship is. True worship is. What is true worship? What have we learned about true worship or how we worship God even in this last you know, couple weeks, even in the last six years, even through studying the Bible midweek? What is true worship? Well, true worship, I want you to know, is knowing the heart of God. True worship is knowing the heart of God. And we are going to see here that God has a heart that wants to fellowship with us. He created you in His image so that He can fellowship with you. God did not create you in, in an another image. He created you in His own image so that for the purpose of fellowship. And a lot of times when we think about that God created me in His image, we have to always follow that statement up, that truth up with knowing the reason why He created me in His image, humanity, mankind, humans, with souls, with feelings, with emotions now to be able to communicate, right? Was so that we can have a relationship with God, our Creator, the God of the universe. Think about that. You are created in the image of the God of the universe so that you can have fellowship with Him. In Psalms chapter 6 here, after seeing a prayer for guidance in the previous chapter, and we, we're moving into Psalms chapter 6, we're here, the psalmist David is crying out to God to deliver him from trouble or to deliver him from the discipline that he's facing in his life. And the type of discipline that he's talking about here, the psalmist, is a discipline, a sickness, an affliction that he's feeling. It's a physical affliction that he's feeling. And, and many commentators believe that it is to do with a sin now that is taking place in his life. Now, David, as blameless as he was, he also had times in his life where he had to deal with sin or with disobedience in his life. This man after God's own heart. But here in Psalms chapter 6, you see that he's praying, Lord, as you discipline me, have mercy on me. How many of us know that when God disciplines us, He also at the same time has mercy on that discipline. Notice here as we go to Psalms chapter 6, that he's crying out for deliverance from the situation and from mercy to carry him through the situation. Psalm 6 says this, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. He's saying, yes, Lord, rebuke me, but not in your anger. <laughs> Notice here it says, nor chasten me, nor discipline me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy's sake. We thank you for your loving kindness. We thank you, Lord, that you can have mercy on us, even, Lord, as you correct us, even as you discipline us, Lord. You seek, Lord, to demonstrate a compassion, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to manifest your hand and your love in our lives. 
We thank you for this psalm in Jesus' name. And together we said, Now we're going here, Psalms 6.1. It says, O Lord, our God, do not now rebuke me, don't correct me, and don't discipline me. How? When you're angry with me, Lord. Don't discipline me in your anger. Don't discipline me, Lord, in your wrath. But have compassion over me. And notice how his prayer is. Have mercy because I am weak. O Lord, heal me for my bones are troubled. Do you see that he is entering into this physical state where he feels that he's sick? Here the psalmist is sick. He's sick physically. In fact, he feels a physical pain here. He says, Lord, I'm troubled. I'm hurting God. I feel this, Lord, and I need healing. Do you notice that even this psalms is so appropriate for us because of the times that we're living in today and we're crying for healing. But where are we crying from healing from? Where are we looking for our healing to come from? He's saying my bones are troubled. Not only that, but my soul. It's a physical now pain that he's feeling, but it's also an emotional pain that he's feeling in verse 3. My soul is greatly troubled. I'm afraid. I'm distressed. I'm in anguish. But you, O Lord, underline the words... How long, how long will it take until you restore me? Has that ever been your prayer? Or oh Lord, how long am I going to feel this way, this pain, this sickness? Lord, how long am I going to feel anxious? How long am I going to battle with fear? How long, Lord, is this affliction or is this discipline going to come upon me? Lord, take me out of a season of discipline. How long is it going to take now? And the question that we should be asking ourselves is not, Lord, when I will get out of this, but what will I get out of this? Now notice that attitude shift. Not what, when I will get out of this, but what is it that I will get out of this? And oftentimes, the Lord, when He speaks to us now, He's saying, until you learn the lesson that I want to teach you. I'm going to keep you there until you learn the lesson or until you get equipped for the work that I want you to do. You see, God sometimes disciplines us in order to, number one, deal with our disobedience. He will discipline His children as a sign of adoption. You are my child. And I will discipline you as a now form to deal now with your disobedience or sometimes to prepare us for what lies ahead. Discipline not only now uh, deals with our disobedience, but prepares us for the future on how He wants to use us. It's a preparation. It says here, verse 4 and 5, Return, O Lord, and deliver me. God, there's an urgency now. Return to me, Lord, right now. And notice how He says here, For your mercy's sake, because of your unfailing love. He's reminding the Lord, Lord, you are so faithful. You're never going to fail me. Your love is unfailing. It never fails. You see that mercy means it's unfailing love. It's love that doesn't fail. Did you notice that? I really pray that you would write that down in your Bible. The mercy of God is a love that doesn't fail. Because your love never fails, return to me, Lord. Because your love never fails. Now notice as he continues to really cry out to God, for in death, verse 5, as he's looking in very desperate measures and times and praying, for in death, there's no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? Lord, when I die, how am I going to be of any use for you? There it's going to be too late. 
Lord, save me. Your love never fails. Save me before I go to the grave. Because at the grave, there is no use for me there. He goes on, I am weary with my groaning. Have you ever been tired now with your groaning? What does this mean with your crying? Have you ever been tired now of crying? You're saying, I'm tired of crying. It sometimes seems like seasons of our lives. We're just tired of crying. We're tired of being tired. And that's exactly what here the psalmist David is feeling. He says, I'm tired of crying. All night I make my bed swim. This is a man that is, is a man after God's own heart. But at night, guess what he's doing? He is crying in his bed. Why is he crying in his bed? Because of the pain that he's undergoing, because of the emotional stress that he's feeling. And he's saying, all night I make my bed swim now with crying and with tears now. I drench my couch with tears. My eyes waste away because of my grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. He said, my, my vision is blurred now and is worn out because of grief. You know what it does to you, this crying, this groaning? It blurs your vision now through grief. I am tired, Lord. I have bad vision. I'm blurred because of grief. My eyes, Lord, are worn out because of all my enemies. Have you ever felt that you, are, you feel so worn out? Because of the enemies. Because of now even those that come after you. Because of the tribulation. Because of the discipline. Just deliver me now, Lord. And he goes on in verse 8. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. He switches now. And he says, you know what? These workers of iniquity, those people that are coming after me. This pain that I'm feeling. Depart from me, all the workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. Underline that please. Why are they to depart from him? Why is that situation able to now, he's able to overcome that situation? Because the Lord does what? He heard the voice of my crying. Do you know that the Lord hears every single cry that you have? The Bible says that he stores your tears now. And he knows exactly every tear that falls from your eyes. And hear what he's saying in verse 8. He's saying, go away, evil because the Lord has heard me and he is confident that the Lord has heard his request. He is confident that the Lord will receive him now. Notice what he continues saying, the voice of my weeping, the Lord has heard my supplication. Not only has he heard my cry, the Lord also has heard my request. The Lord has heard my cry. The Lord has heard my request. You can be confident that when you are there in the moments, in the dark moments, in the moments where you feel lonely, anxiety comes over you, that you can say, Lord, I know that you hear my cry and I know that you hear my requests, my petition. The Lord will receive my prayer. So what has the Lord heard? The Lord heard my weeping. The Lord heard now my supplication. And the Lord heard my prayer. He knows my hurt. He knows my request, and He knows my prayer. God knows your pain, He knows your request, and He knows your prayer. He, he receives that. Listen, this is so awesome that He hears your pain, He realizes what your requests are, He hears those, and He receives your prayer. Let all, verse 10, now notice what he happens. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Everyone that's coming against me, 
those that are speaking about me, those that have evil intents for me now, they are going to be ashamed or disgraced. They're going to be terrified and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. Why is he saying this? Because he knows that the Lord is defending him now. And he's saying, Lord, I know that you now hear the voice of my weeping, of my supplication, of my prayer. I have, I have the attention of God in my prayer. And this is amazing now because he now is fully confident now that the Lord has done this. And he, he's very quick to honor the Lord for what is happening in his life. If the enemies can flee, they're going to be ashamed because the Lord hears my prayer. That they will, they will know who is the one that is answering my prayer. And in Psalms chapter 7, what he does now is now he's asking God now to deliver him from the lies of what those speak against him. You know, it's so difficult sometimes when you know people are talking about you. There are some people that, you know, you know somebody speaking about you and, and it's okay. You know what? You just don't care. You don't care what they say. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. But there are other personalities sometimes that when, when people are speaking about us that, that we just want to let them know. That we want to speak bad against them. We want to reply. We want to say, you're not going to say that about me. I'm going to let them know and I can't wait till I get to work tomorrow. Or I can't wait till I see that person or that relative or that friend. Because I heard what they're saying about me and why don't you say that to my face? <laughs> Isn't that our nature? <laughs> we, want to, we want to always defend ourselves. We want to respond that way. And here what was happening in Psalms chapter 7, Cush the Benjamite, which was one of Saul's servants, who was coming after David, was speaking lies about David. That's so bad. False accusations about David. You see, it is so easy for lies to begin. But his initial here for deliverance, his initial protest against his innocence for David was prayer. Lord, I know they're speaking bad about me. Lord, I know they're lying about me. Lord, I know they're after my reputation. I know they're after my character. But he has confidence in God that he will deliver him against any type of slander. You see, the proper response when it comes to slander is prayer, not revenge. The proper response when it comes to slander against you, the proper response to that, it is prayer, it is not revenge. We oftentimes think that, all right, now it's time to move to revenge and let him know mine. But look at his perspective. Look at his heart. He literally puts it in the hands of God and saying, Lord, I know you're a just God and you're going to defend me. That is not true. I don't have to defend myself. I will protest in prayer. How many of us know that the most powerful protesting are that of the ones that we do in the throne room of God in prayer? Notice this in verse 7, it says, O Lord, my God. I, I love this here because he's crying out to the Lord here. He's saying, O Lord, my God, in verse 7, in you I put my trust. That, that is a prayer in itself. That is a song right there. Who do you trust in times? Lord, I trust you with my protection. Lord, I trust you with my deliverance. I know you're going to rescue me from lies. I know you're going to rescue me from injustice, from those that persecute me, from those that are coming against me, from those that don't like me. <laughs> because there are going to be people that don't like you. 
But you're, you're able to say, Lord, I trust you, even with those people that don't like me, that are coming after me, that have bad motives and intentions against me when they see me. Verse 2, it says this, Have mercy on me, O Lord, have compassion, God. Have compassion on me, O Lord, I am weak. And he's going here in verse 2, as he's crying out and he's saying, Deliver me, O Lord, my God, in you I put my trust Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me. What is he crying out for? Salvation? For rescuing? For deliverance? Verse 2. Lest they tear me like a lion, rendering me in pieces, while there is none to deliver me. Lord, I have no one else to cry out to. And oftentimes, this is the most beautiful place to be in. Where no one else, you have no one else to cry out to. Where you have these lion-like enemies that want to devour and want to tear you apart. And he's saying, I... I I'm fearful that there's no hope, that I'm going to be captured now. There's going to be none to deliver me. And in this difficult circumstance, Lord, awaken now, Lord. Because every other support is gone. But when every other support is gone, it's a beautiful place because it makes you realize that no other support is really needed. There are often times where prayer is our last resort, when it can be our only resort. Why is it that oftentimes prayer is our last resort? Here we're going to see that God is going to bring justice and He will restore your reputation. He will protect your character. He really will. And He goes on and He's saying, Lord, lest they render me, they devour me, they, they now come against me and overpower me, and there's no one that can help me. Lord, you do it now. Oh Lord, my God, verse 3, He's going to saying, but if I deserve this, God, if they are rightly doing it, Lord, then you let them overtake me. But you know why he's confident about saying this? Because his hands are clean and his heart is pure. Are your hands clean and your heart pure that you can pray this prayer to the Lord? It says, Oh Lord my God, if I have done this, if I deserve this, if there is iniquity in my hands, notice if I'm guilty, if there is sin in my hands, if I have repaid evil to him who is at peace with him, if I went out and I searched out trouble, if I, if I went looking for it, if I, I set myself for this slander, for this evil, for this speaking about me, if I went to look up for it, it says, if I have repaid evil who is at peace with me, or have plundered my enemy without a cause, or I'm out there now searching for trouble, let my enemy pursue me and let him overtake me. Let him capture me, Lord. And notice here that right after this, it says, yet let him trample my life on earth and lay my honor in the dust. Selah. He stops to meditate and to pray. Oh Lord, if this is my fault, if I deserve this, Lord, then you let them capture me. If there is sin in my hands. But what is he doing? He's fleeing now. He's not only fleeing from his enemies, from those that are speaking against him. He's fleeing now to the Lord for refuge. He's fleeing to the Lord for rescuing. And he says, I know that I am blameless in my actions. I know I'm blameless in my motivations, God. I know I have a pure heart and clean hands. Therefore, God, you can defend me. And from verse 6, it says here, as he's continued to, to cry out for the righteousness of God in his life and for the justice of God, he says, I'm weary with groaning all... And he goes on and he continues to pray and he says here, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. O Lord, arise now, O my defender. Lift up yourself because of the rage of my enemies. Lord, defend me now. Because of the justice of my enemies. Rise up. Arise and then rise up. 
For me, it says, for me to the judgment you have commanded. So the congregation of the people shall surround you. For their sakes, therefore, return on high. He's saying, Lord, I, I want you to be a judge over the nations. I want you to bring justice on many situations. I want you to return, Lord, against the injustice that is taking place right now. Lord, you answer it. See the heart of David here? That he really desired for justice and he went straight to prayer. Verse 8, the Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord. See, we know that God is the one that is going to judge us. He's going to examine us. He's going to examine our motives. He's going to examine our now motivations, our intentions now. And he's confident saying, Lord, look deep into my heart and judge me. Declare me innocent, God. According to my righteousness, he says, verse 8, and according to the integrity within me. Now, how does God judge us? He judges, does He judge us according only to our intentions? No, He judges according to our intentions, but He also judges us according to our actions. Do you see, that's why He says, according to my righteousness, but also according to my integrity. Not only to what my, my intentions were, but also what my actions were, Lord. Judge me according to that. Look deep into my heart. It says, O Lord, wickedness, O Lord, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God tests the hearts and the minds. What does God test? You see, the word judge means to test. And we ought to know how to discern or to test now the hearts and the minds. Whose hearts and minds? First, our own heart and mind. That's what judge means. Sometimes the world uses that terminology to judge or to be judgmental as a way of bringing a condemnation to testing. But here he's saying, Lord, test me. Judge. Test my heart. Test my mind. We as believers ought to know, Lord, I, I want you to test my mind. I want you to test my heart. We ought to be accountable to one another. Say, hey, I want you to test my mind and test my heart. Keep me accountable and sharp in these areas. He goes on in verse 10. My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. Who does God do? When somebody, somebody's coming up to you and, and, and maybe attacking this area of your life or attacking that area of your life where you know you're right with God, what are you, to, what are you to do? Now he says here, the Lord is going to defend me. He is my defense. I don't have to, to, to cry out and, and, and slander back or try to defend myself. You know, the worst thing that we can do when people are coming against us is to try to defend ourselves in our own strength. Because when you try to defend yourself, guess what? God won't defend you. Let the Lord defend you. And notice how he says, My God, my defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. Who does God defend? Who does God defend here? He hover, that, that, the word defense is talking about the Lord that hovers over the believers. He hovers over like the believers like a military shield that is an invisible defense. Think about that. God is just hovering over you like a military shield that is defending you all around always. And who does He defend? The upright at heart. Those whose hearts are right. This is amazing here. God is what judge? He is a just judge. Again, He will test your heart and He will be fair about the judgment that He does. God is honest now. And He's going to look at my heart. He's going to know that I'm innocent. God is looking straight into my heart. And He says, And the God is angry with the wicked every day. God is angry with the wicked every single day. Verse 11. Why is He angry with the wicked? Because He's a just judge. 
And does God have to hate wickedness? Absolutely, He must. If God loves righteousness, if God is holy, if God is righteous, He can only be that. He can only be just. He can only be holy. He can only be pure if He hates wickedness. Do you see how this is so important? This is the nature of God. That God is not neutral. Our culture and our world today tells us that we ought to be neutral. But neutrality is of the enemy. That's of the devil. Because God's called you to righteousness. Neutral says that you can be this way or you can be that way. Neutral, whatever you want. But he's saying here, no, the Lord is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, if who doesn't turn back, if the wicked does not repent, God will deal with him. Notice here, he will sharpen his sword, he bends his bow, and he makes it ready. What does a warrior do? He sharpens that sword, he grabs that bow, he gets the arrow, he gets, pulls that arrow back, he's ready to fire off. And it says here, he also prepares himself instruments of death to attack, and he makes his arrows into fiery shafts. What does the Lord do? He comes and he will deal with the rebellion of the wicked. God will deal with the... He doesn't ignore sin. He's making Himself ready in verse 12 and 13 to judge. You see, the wrath of God is slow, and we have to appreciate that. It is patient, His wrath. But it is sure. There are often times where we think, well, you know what, well, I can get away with this. I've been doing this for such a long time that, that maybe God is just... He's being so loving. He's, he's, he's going to let me slide. <laughs> No, the Lord is being patient to give us time to repent. He's giving us time to repent. But sure enough, He's going to be ready to judge. Because He is holy, He's pure, and He must do that. Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity, verse 14. Yet He conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. What does the wicked do? Conceives. What does conceive mean? To give birth. The wicked, all they do is just you just find trouble coming out or lies coming out. It says, he, he made a pit and dug it out and he has fallen into the ditch which he made. The trouble shall return upon his own head. They're just looking for trouble. They dig a trap for people, but they themselves fall into it. Uh, themselves, it's saying, and his violence, his dealing shall come down on his crown. He shall now participate in the violence that he set up for other people. Verse 17. I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness. This is amazing. I'll praise God because He is worthy to be praised. That's what He's saying. I will praise God according to who He is. Not for only what He's done, but for who He is. That's what we sang this song today. I will worship you, wife, for who you are. There are a lot of times where we want to worship God for what He has done, but He also deserves worship for who He is. That He is a just God. That He defends the injustice in our lives. And it says here, I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Not only will I praise, but I will sing praise to the name of the Lord. And that word Most High, that's one of the names, the Hebrew names of God. Most High. Most High. Now, the Hebrew name here of the Lord is El Elyon. The Lord Most High. And now the nation of Israel praise the Lord, El Elyon. He is the Lord who is most high. That's one of His names. This is an amazing covenant name to the nation of Israel. This is an amazing covenant name to us that God is the God most high. And He goes on next to Psalms chapter 8 as we continue reading. 
Because here in Psalms chapter 8, he's going to consider the magnitude, the creation of God, the transcendence of God as a creator, and how God ministers to every one of your needs. He has not overlooked you. He has not bypassed you. He doesn't not see the value that is in a relationship with you. God places now His creation and His creatures and humanity now because He wants to have a relationship with us. But here is going to talk about how God is, is our creator of the universe, yet He wants a personal relationship with you. Now, sometimes we hear that, and there are often times that, that we read that, and we're told that, but do you get that? <laughs> that the same God that said, let there be light, wants a relationship with you. The same God that said, let there be light, values you. And he talks a lot about the value that the creator of the universe has in, sees in you. That he pays attention to every detail of your life. And he was going to celebrate that, the glory of God. Notice chapter 8 verse 1. O Lord, our Lord. This is amazing. Yahweh, our master. Jehovah, our master. Our God, who is our master. You see how the worship that he's giving, he really, you can't really worship the Lord until he's your master. That's when it becomes true worship. Because it goes to adoration. It starts with submission. It's knowing, O Lord Yahweh, you are our master. The word, O Lord, the first one is Yahweh, the name of God. The second, our Lord, is a signifying our God who is our master. How excellent is your name. Now circle here the word name. Because it's all going to be, the, the worship uh, that he gives to the Lord, it's all going to be central now to the name of God. That's when you know it's true worship, is that the name of God was the central subject of his worship. The majesty of the name of God, the glory of the name of God, it's all about the Lord. There are often times today that we say it's worship, but it's talking more about us than about God. Is that really worship? <laughs> it's not, that's not worship. And a lot of songs today, I'll tell you guys, even listening to worship, there are a lot of songs today that are so filled with self-emotion that no longer has it become worship. Worship is when we exalt God for who He is. We're worshiping Him. It's about Him. It's about His glory. It's about the Lord is, is, is magnified. He's exalted. Your name, you deserve it. He is central, the central subject of worship. When we've become the central subject of our singing, it no longer is worship. <laughs> and there are times when we become the central subject of our lives. Everything about our lives is I. That's not a lifestyle of worship. Everything you think about is I. You've become the central subject of everything in your life that is not a life of worship. Because everything revolves around you. Worship is a life where everything revolves around God. <laughs> Do you see the difference? Worship is a life where everything revolves around God. That is true worship. Now notice here he says, How excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Not only the heaven, is your glory on earth, it is beyond earth. The, the, the earth cannot now measure your glory because your glory goes beyond. It transcends the earth. Your glory is beyond. It's in the heavens now. The earth cannot contain your glory. It can't explain your glory in full. 
And here he goes in verse 2 to a prophetic now piece of this psalm of nature. He goes now to this piece where Jesus now quoted this Psalms 8 verse 2 in Matthew 21. When the religious leaders said, hey, rebuke them, they're worshiping you. We know we ought, they only ought to worship God. What did Jesus do? He quoted Psalms 8 verse 2. And he says, I am God. <laughs> That's why they're worshiping me. And he quotes to the Old Testament. Look at what he says. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Out of the babes now, worship will come out. Out of the infants, worship will come out. And it will silence the enemies. The enemies will have nothing to say because you draw worship even from the most weakest, most innocent vessels that are alive. God will receive worship even from them. And what God was saying when He was quoting this, He's saying, I know that worship is only reserved for God, but I am God. And He refers to this as it's talking about Him. God will draw His worship even from weak vessels, He's saying. Verse 3, When I consider the heavens, when I think about the heavens, have you ever paused to think about heaven? I think sometimes we're so in a rush that we cannot pause to think about the glory of God. And that's why our worship life is very limited. You see, the psalmist had a healthy lifestyle of worship because he spent time with the Lord. He knew what it was like to pause so that he can praise. You can't fully praise until you know how to pause. And notice what he does. When I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers, <laughs> not even hands, when I think about heavens and I look at creation and I consider that it's the work of just your mere fingers, when I think about it, when I look at it, when I study it, when I meditate on it, when I'm mindful of it, it says, and I know that it's the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained or which you have created, and it is surpassing in glory and it, or to our human nature. Now what it says here, what is man that you are mindful of him? When I think about all of that you created with only the tips of your fingers, when I see everything that it has your fingertips all over it, Lord, when it has your fingerprints all over the stars and the moon, who am I that you would care about me? Who am I that you would be mindful of me? But what is Peter saying? Cast your cares upon him because he does care for you. The God of creation cares for me personally. The God that created the moon and the stars and the heavens wants a relationship with you. I was talking to my coworker, a friend at work, he's a Muslim. And today he was saying, you know, well, well what is the difference between your religion and mine? <laughs> and I said, well, that's the, the difference is that mine is not a religion. Mine is a relationship that with the God of the universe that He cares for me, that He wants a relationship with me and He wants a relationship with you. So He sent His Son Jesus down the cross for our sins and is breaking down the gospel. He said, I've never heard it that way. <laughs> that He wants a relationship with me? Yes, He does. And you can't say you have a relationship with God unless you spend time with Him, unless you worship Him. 
Now notice how he goes on and says, Who is it that he would be mindful of me and the Son of Man that you would visit him, that you would want to spend time with me here? He goes on, For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. This is what the Lord has done. You made him a little lower than the angels. You haven't made us angels, but a little lower than the angels. You haven't made us even to your creatures or animals or anything, but you made us human beings, and you created human beings in the image of God. That's what he's saying, verse 4 and 5, next to it. Right, yes, I might think I'm insignificant, but I'm created in the image of God, so there's a lot of value in me. <laughs> Do you see how uh, that's amazing? I, I might think I'm insignificant in comparison to the creation of God, but He created me in His image, so there's a lot of value in me, and the only value that matters is not what the world sees in me, but what God sees in me. Your value is not what the world sees in you, but it's what God sees in you because He created you in His own image. Now, what is his image? He created you for fellowship, with emotions, with feelings, to have joy, to have satisfaction. And that's exactly what he's referring to here in Psalms chapter 8. Do You have crowned him, uh, crowned him now in verse 5 with glory, and you have crowned him also with what? With honor. It says, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put him under all things under his feet. What, is God, what has God done to mankind? He has given him what? He has given him dominion. Circle the word dominion in your Bible. It means you have given him responsibility. You have given him authority. Authority to do what? To rule over all creation. You have given him this responsibility to have dominion over all animal life, over all plant life, over all creation. Notice this. God has given us dominion over it. He has not called us to be in bondage to it. <laughs> There's two different things. There are often times that we're in bondage to creation and we worship creation instead of the Creator. There's some people that put more value in the animal life than they put in the human soul. They pay attention more to the animal life than the human soul. He said, no, you gave us dominion over that. We are over that. We have a responsibility over that. All things you have given us that. And he goes on and he's explaining this here. You put everything under his feet, all sheep, all oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the path of the waters. Lord, you have put all that under our responsibility. And because of that, because you care about me so much, notice how he ends this psalm, verse 9. Oh Lord, our Lord. What would happen if in your prayer journal? Every time you're going to study the Bible? At the dinner table. Before you go to sleep. Or when you wake up, you say, Oh Lord, our Lord. Yahweh, God, who is our master. This is so awesome. He says, how excellent, how marvelous. Your name is full here. How excellent is your name in all the earth. Whose name is it that we're exalting the name of God whose name is it the name of God the name of Yahweh how excellent how majestic is your name in all the earth notice he's saying this he started with this worship praise and he ended with worship and praise our prayers should start with worship and praise and end with worship and praise there are often times that we don't get to worship the Lord in our prayer because our prayers are so rushed and, there are, and I was thinking about it today, how many times we wake up in the morning and we get up and, and before we get up and we start moving, we start going, we didn't even thank the Lord that He gave us another day of life. There's no worship involved. 
It's a rushed prayer. And here what he's saying, O Lord, our Lord, in the beginning, O Lord, our Lord, at the end, demonstrating that, yes, it is the Lord, and He deserves all the glory and the honor. Notice as we continue reading here, chapter 9, as He's already told us here in chapter 8, that our value comes from who? From the Lord. And I want to tell you something. You're valuable to God, not because of your usefulness, but you're valuable to God because He loves you. <laughs> because He loves you now. Because He died for you on the cross. And the image of God that we talked about, not only does that determine your identity, but that also should determine your choices and it should determine your decisions. I'm created in the image of God. So not only is that my identity, the image of God, that also should determine my choices and that should determine my decisions now. And my value in God is not based off what I do for Him, but what He's already done for me. There's a lot of times that we try to build up to be accepted in the value of the eyes of the world, but the only value that matters is the value in the Lord. And here he's saying, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name. Creation exists to worship God. Our only purpose is to glorify the Lord, to glorify God, and to enjoy Him forever in His presence. And if we leave God out of our lives, we're missing the greatest opportunity of fulfillment and satisfaction in our lives. Now here in chapter 9, look, listen to what he does because he's crying out to God and he's saying, I am going to praise you because I know that you do not ignore the cries of those that are praying. God doesn't ignore you when you pray. You might think, well, that person's ignoring me. They don't know how I feel. Or that person doesn't understand me. But God doesn't ignore you. Listen to chapter 9 and he says, I will praise you, O Lord, with what? With my whole heart. It's whole hearted worship wholehearted worship not with a partial of my heart not with only a, a section of my heart but with my whole heart it's wholehearted devotion it's not half-hearted there are often times that our worship is so half-hearted and it's not really true worship he says, i'm going to praise you with my whole heart and then he gives us three ways on how he worships with his whole heart number one way i will tell of your marvelous works how do you worship? Number one, by telling of what God has done. I will tell of your marvelous works. Number one, I will declare. That's how I will worship with my whole heart. Number one, I will declare. You can write that in your notes. I will declare of your marvelous works. Number two, I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will worship you with my whole heart. Number two, in that I will rejoice. I will be glad. I will praise God because of who you are. I have a reason to rejoice because of who you are. And number three, I will praise Him with my whole heart. How? I will sing praises to your name, O Most High. I will sing praises to who? To your name. I will focus my worship on your name. What is the psalmist here saying? I'm praising God for His works. I'm praising God for His character. And I'm praising God for His name. That is wholehearted worship. When I'm praising God for His works, I'm praising God for His character, and I'm praising God also for His name. This is Psalms here is filled with praise and thanksgiving now. It's wholehearted. Charles Spurgeon said this, half heart is no heart. <laughs> Someone comes to give half heart, that is no heart. You're showing no heart in your devotion and worship. And here the psalmist is saying, I'm going to praise you with my entire heart. Verse 3, when my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. 
He's confident in what? In the power of the presence of God. God is going to defend me. God is coming into action now at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You've sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. Oh God, you've been defending me with all fairness. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. He goes on from verse 6 and 8. He says, My enemies are one day going to be forgotten, but God will never be forgotten. O enemies, destructions are finished forever, and you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. The, the, the memory of the evil one, the memory of the wicked is going to be forgotten forever in final judgment. But in the final judgment, God will make every wrong right. He will make every wrong as right. He, is, he will establish peace. He will establish judgment in verse 6. And he says, verse 7, But the Lord shall endure forever. What does really matter? What is, matters here in our lives? But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared His throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And He shall administer judgment for the people in uprightness. The Lord will also be a refuge for the oppressed. Now from verse 9, notice that he's saying here, God's heart is a, God, uh, is a heart of justice. And God is a, has a heart for those that are oppressed. Notice how the heart of God, the nature of the heart of God is for those that are oppressed and He wants to defend, He wants to have justice. The Lord will also be a refuge or a safe place, a secure place for those that are being oppressed. And of refuge in times of trouble, a safe place when people are being troubled. And those here who know your name will put their trust in you. Who puts their trust in the Lord? Those who know Him. The reason sometimes that we can't trust the Lord is because we fail to remember who He is. If you know Him, then you can trust Him. Those who now trust you or who know you will trust you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. What a promise here. Lord, we're going to trust you because we know you and we know that you don't abandon those that faithfully seek you. You don't abandon them. Those that are faithfully seeking you. Sing praises. Verse 11. We're going to praise God for this. Who dwells in Jerusalem or in Zion, declare His deeds among the people publicly. Praise God who does all of this. When He avenges blood, what is God? God is our avenger. God not only is our defender, God is also our avenger now. He avenge, he's the avenger of blood. He remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Which humble is He talking about? He doesn't forget the cry of those that are being oppressed. There are oftentimes we think, well, Lord, do you care for the, the cries of those that are hurting, the, those that are oppressed, those that are undergoing injustice? Well, here the psalmist David says that God is their avenger, our avenger. He doesn't forget their cries. He fights their battles. This is amazing. Have you ever felt man, that there's an injustice done to you or undergoing this type of behavior against you? He's saying the Lord doesn't forget the, the cry of the humble. In fact, he goes, have mercy on me. And he's continuing to pray in verse 13. Oh Lord, consider my trouble from those who hate me. Think about this, Lord, and consider my trouble from those that hate me. You will lift me up from the gates of death. I'm going to go from the gates of death as I'm oppressed to the gates now of your temple. This is amazing here in verse 14. That I may tell of your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion or in Jerusalem. I'll rejoice in your salvation. 
Oh Lord, I want you to deliver me from this oppression so that I go from the, day, the gates of hell so I can go to the gates of your temple and praise you. See, this is a testimony now. We have a reason to worship God because of our testimony. Because the Lord took us from the gates of oppression. Because the Lord took us from a, a toxic situation. Because the Lord delivered us from the bondage of that, that sin. Or the Lord took us from the oppression of what we once felt trapped. Now, And now we can go to the gates of the temple now. From being at the gates of oppression to the gates of the temple. And publicly praise God. To give Him glory for what He's done in our lives. And that's what he's saying. Lord, I don't want you to deliver me for my sake. I want you to deliver me so I can go praise you. I want you to free me from this so I can go from this gate to the gate of your house and publicly tell everyone and give glory to you, Lord. You see, that's where we belong. That is our position at the gate of the temple of God praising Him. Give me justice, Lord, so I can show others what your power looks like in my life. Did you know that your worship does that? Your worship shows God's power in your life. It shows God's power in your life. Verse 15, The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid. Their own foot is caught. These nations are, are now being dissembled by the justice of God. It says, The Lord is known by the judgment He executes. The wicked is snared in the work of His own hands. Meditation. <laughs> You see, every time he does these meditations, you know what he's doing here, the psalmist? I'm going to step back and I'm just going to wait on God. The Selah, the meditations, is when he has a prayer break to do, one, to do one thing, to wait on God. Why? Because he wants to hear from him. He wants to be ministered by him. Meditation means let me stop and wait so that I can listen. The wicked, in verse 17, shall be turned into hell in all the nations that forget God, everyone, this is the, the final destiny and judgment of those that rebel against God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. Who, who are the needy? We are the needy. The people that are oppressed are the needy. And maybe sometimes they feel it looks like it's apparent as if they are forgotten or overlooked that no one's ministering to the needs. But the Lord has a heart and He has an eye on the needy and they will not be always forgotten. Notice this. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. They're not always going to suffer. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Verse 19, Lord, don't let them get away. <laughs> the injustice, wickedness of what's taking place. Let the nation be judged in your sight, Lord. Take care of these people. Isn't this what we have to be praying for our nation as well? Lord, do not let those get away with oppression. But judge your nation rightly in fairness. Because that's the kind of God that you are, that you take care of those and you watch and you defend, you avenge those that are becoming oppressed. You notice how God is the one that deals with this? I love this because He's saying here, Do not let man prevail, nor let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear. Verse 20, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Lord, judge them. So they know that they are just mere men. Lord, humble them that they understand that they are only human and rebellion against you. You see how this is so important as he's putting his trust in him? He's saying, Lord, I want you to reach the nation. Lord, reach the nations with justice. Can we pray that this prayer, Lord, reach the nations with justice? But not only that, 
Say, Lord, I thank you, Lord, because I know that you're hearing my cry. I know that you're looking at me and my needs. Lord, I know that when those are coming against me and speaking against me, that you're there to defend me and that you hear. You're interested in my prayer and my petition and you know my pain. And because of all of that, Lord, I know that I can trust you and put it in your hands. Let's go ahead and put it in the hands of God right now as we pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, because the psalmist David tonight 